0: Morning,
1: Brian, How you doing? Nick, I don't even know what to say about uh, what to expect with uh, today's episode. Um, you know, we we took some things in a decidedly different direction, I guess I would say. Um, you know, I, I got a chance to reference one of my favorite authors who I, I don't think I've ever shared either with you or on this yeah, program. Yeah, nope. His name's Robert Anton Wilson, and uh, he he's been gone for a number of years now, but he wrote a lot of books. And um, he one one of my favorite books of his is actually only available on audio. And uh, it's called Robert Anton Wilson Explains Everything or Old Bob Exposes His Ignorance. (laughs) In it, he was asked uh, to uh, to explain, you know, if if you were to summarize, um, you know, kind of You know what are what are all your life's learnings about, and you could put that into a phrase. What would it be? And he said, "Amor et hilaritas," which is love and laughter. Uh, And I gotta say, Nick, I feel like that's what we brought today. There's a lot of laughter.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) there's no doubt. Um, You know, Peter, Peter Margaritis is is definitely a different. uh, person that we've had in our past, but you know his background is accounting. He was a CPA, um, and you know his his whole thing yes and and taking the numb out of numbers. His book, um, it, we thought he'd be a good guest to bring on because you know accountants and CPAs are are the first. um, you know, silo of business where they were talking to their leadership and nobody understood anything they said to him. And now, now we have technology. We, we speak just like them. We talk to people and they have no idea what we're talking about.
1: <laughs> That's right. And I love how it connects, uh, empathy, uh, as a leadership quality to, uh, his, uh, background in improv. And uh, in fact, he's written another book called Improv is No Joke. using improvisation to create positive results in leadership and life. Um, And we get a great opportunity to talk with him about that uh, to a degree. You know, I, I also think about the years that I've spent as a DJ, which, you know, may surprise some of our listeners, but um, part of that empathy, you know, comes from reading an audience, right? And and when Mm -hmm. you read the crowd as a DJ, if you've got an empty dance floor, you're in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you'd better change some things up and figure out how to navigate through it pretty quickly. Uh, And he addresses some of those same types of issues as uh leaders you know what they're confronted with how to navigate through some of the gray area uh, and really have a level of empathy so that you can uh, have engagement that's authentic and and is really uh working in harmony with those who you're trying to serve
0: and i loved he said you know everyone should take one one improv class so i guess that's my homework right i need to find an improv class and uh do one have you have you ever done that before brian you know
1: it's been many years since I've done it, but okay. I, I have done it before, and uh, uh, I have a friend who actually just recently went through uh, improv uh, and then was, you know as as part of graduating from the class, had to go through. Uh, an improv routine at uh, Denver comedy works. So uh, I, you know, I think it's, it's something that both of us should uh, put on our to-do list. Cause uh, I, I'm, I'm convinced now there's, uh, <laughs> there's, you know, new opportunities and insights that await us.
0: Well, what I like about Peter's, you know, when you bring up the comedy and some of it's all, like he said, you know, you bring up your own situations, right. So you're bringing up vulnerability. As a leader, when you're doing these presentations, you're, you're allowing people to make a connection with you because you're being vulnerable while you're presenting. But I don't want to take any more of, of Peter's thunder. Um, you know, we, we've got a great episode for our guest, So let's get on with it.
1: Love it. Welcome to another edition of Lead.exe. I'm Brian Comerford in
0: Denver, Colorado. And I'm Nick Lozano in Washington, D.C.
1: And today we've got a very special guest, Peter Margaritas.
0: He is a certified speaking
1: professional and author who also uh, tends to refer to himself as the accidental accountant. You're going to be learning more about that on this episode, only if we can actually keep the reins intact to guide the conversation (laughs) forward. (laughs) We've already been having a lot of fun with Peter uh, before we even got started here. So Peter, welcome to the program And, and if you could kick us off and just tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Thanks, guys. I, I appreciate the opportunity. Um, yes, I am the accidental account. I am a CPA, but uh, not a really good one. You, 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 <laughs> I, I, I And I'm, I'm quite honest with that. I, You see, I didn't get into this profession until I was 30 years old. My last name is Margaritas. I'm Greek. I should be in the restaurant. Really? I just made a kitchen cooking. And actually, that's what I did for a, a large part of my life from 12 years old all the way through college and, and managed a couple pizza places uh, after that. But then I found myself in the accounting profession. And I come in with this, you know, someone said, you're very gregarious. I went, I went to University of Kentucky. I have to look that up. Never <laughs> now that I understand what it means, and, and I come into a profession that I walked in the door of Waterhouse on day one and all the air left. <laughs> that wasn't what it was like. When, when I when I went through my interviews, there was a lot of action, a lot of air in there, but it was all gone, and they couldn't figure me out, and, and I surely couldn't figure them out. And I, I survived four years at, at Pricewaterhouse Oh, before that, I went to Case Western Reserve and got a Master's of Accountancy, which means I can study. I passed the CPA exam, which means I know how to study. Uh, and then they wanted me to do, and I, I so I, I left. Pricewaterhouse went to work for Victoria's Secret Catalog. Not as a model, but I appreciate it, guys. I saw the the twinkle in both of you guys' eyes when I said that. If they could only see the video. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. And my my boss on my performance review, my cheeks hadn't hit the seat yet, and she goes, how in the hell did you ever become a CPA? CPAs can get down into here. I can get you about halfway. You're an accidental (laughs) accountant. I thanked her. That was the nicest thing she's ever said to me at that point. (laughs) But I looked at her and said, but, when you want something done in this building, who do you ask to get it done? She says, well, you, Pete, because your cheeks are never in the seat. I went, no, 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 no. I'm not eating bonbons and watching Oprah. See, I realized since I got in this profession late that there's this thing called a stereotype about accountants and CPAs. Have you heard about this, guys?
1: <laughs> I-, I know something about it. I got a lot of accounts in my family.
2: <laughs> so understanding that stereotype, if I need, I'm in the information gathering business, and if I need information, and I come in as the CPA or the accountant into your office, the likelihood that you're going to be forthwith and give, give that information up uh, is probably not going to be – well, you're just probably not going to do it at first or, or you know find ways of saying no. But if you know me as Pete – the guy I had a cocktail with or I had lunch with, you're more likely to give me that information. And the more that I know of you and we become friends and, and such, the more willing you are to give me information. And sometimes you'll give me information that you're not unaware of when we go to happy hour. <laughs> so that's that's how I got to the, the the accidental accountant, and i i actually have a registered trademark on it. Uh, <laughs> and, and then I why I not? Found, why not? What the heck? <laughs> and, and then I found myself unemployed for a while, and someone thought I could be a good teacher, and I started teaching at the college level at the Ohio. Dominican University, <laughs> that joke kills in Columbus. I mean, people <laughs> laugh hysterically. Oh, That's expected. The Ohio <laughs> State University, State, right? <laughs> yeah. And I, I taught there for about ten years and learned how to build curriculum and learn how to cl- class. And, and 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 as my students said, I made accounting fun, which is an oxymoron. But I <laughs> I, I took I have a ba- I, I have a background in humor. Uh, I, I'm I'm a not a very good stand up comedian because I'm talking to you guys out versus out being <laughs> on the road. Uh, I've been a student of improvisation for over 20 plus years. And I was able to take that humor, that piece of my background, my business accounting background, and it turned out to be really good as a teaching tool. And I've been I've taught hard, hard hardcore accounting for about 10 years, but my real love was more from the leadership communication, compassionate level. And today I have my, my own business. And the name of the business is Peter A. Margaritas, LLC, but doing business as the (laughs) accidental accountant where I do communication programming, leadership programming, uh, primarily for financial professionals. Uh, but I have worked with sales teams and different types of manufacturing, uh, uh, Um, industries. And, um, I started this, I went full time with this business in 2010 and I have not worked a day since. (laughs) Ask my wife, you'll get a whole different story.
0: Spoken like a true entrepreneur.
2: Yeah, exactly. Of course I can do that.
0: (laughs) I love love your background. You and I have some uh you know similarities there, both kind of starting out in the restaurant industry and That's right. accidentally finding our way. Um, you know, same thing with Brian. Brian, you know, got into technology through music. Um, so we're we're here with you, kind of accidentally being in in the positions that we are in. Um kind of brings me to the first question I want to ask you is, you know, as technology leaders are um faced with communicating with executives, um you, you know, we're we're kind of um where the heck am I going with this? I'm tripping over my words here. <laughs> you know, we have to take complex information and present it to people who might not actually understand um, what we're saying to them. And I feel like accountants are the very first, you know, role where where you work somewhere and no one completely understood what you did, right? Or right. what you said to them. Right. Like you, you turn around to somebody, you're like, oh, well, what's the depreciation on that? You're doing straight line or are you doing it a different way? And most people look at you and go, well, what the heck? <laughs> and, from
2: a I'm impressed. Pers- yeah. <laughs>
0: and from a technology perspective, you know, we us technology leaders might turn around and go, okay, we're going to do, uh, you know, Amazon workspaces here. Here, or are we going to, you know, go ahead and spin up EC2 instead of, insta- yeah, so your face is exactly the same thing. <laughs> so as as somebody, you know, who works, you know, in a highly technical area, how do you communicate clearly and confidently to to your uh, fellow peers in the C-level to make sure that they understand what you're saying?
2: Uh, th- yeah, <laughs> the, the first thing I, I, I have to get them to understand is they speak a foreign language. Mm-hmm. They speak the foreign language of business called accounting. Because like you said, when you say depreciation to a non-accountant, they think that's the value they lose in their car when they drive it off the car lot. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the accountant's going, no, 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 that's a systematic allocation of an asset over time. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I my first challenge is to get them to realize they do speak a foreign language. Mm-hmm. And two, just they can't yell it out just to make you understand <laughs> like when we do – and we'll go to foreign countries, uh, but they have to learn how to translate it into the thing called plain English. And it's really hard to do that. Uh, and and I discovered that I, I think when I first discovered that accounting was a foreign language, my wife and I were dating at the time and we would meet for dinner. And she goes, tell me about your day. And then she glazed over like a deer. <laughs> uh, and, just, and she goes, would you speak English to me? Said, I'm speaking English. She goes, No, you're speaking Chinese to me. Speak, tell me what you did. And this went on for a while until I realized, wait a minute. She doesn't have that knowledge that I have, just like your, your folks. Uh, they, they don't have you. You've got extensive knowledge in your in your profession, in your industry. And those who don't, we have no clue because we haven't invested that time. As you guys have, and as we, as accountants, so once we realize that, and we realize we're speaking to someone who is not of our complex, uh, our competency, and that uh, subject matter, we have to put it in plain English, and put it on, and using story, use, using analogies, um, and that's how that's how we do it. And from accounting, and you can help me here as it relates to technology, but in accounting, m- numbers don't move themselves. A 5 mm-hmm. is not sitting there today going, I'm a 5. Tomorrow I'm going to be a 10. <laughs> <laughs> nah, that might be too much. The next time I might come back to an 8. People move the numbers. Some type of physical ty- – some type of transaction has to occur, which has in- been started or engaged or created by a human. So when we see numbers that are out of line to our expectations, we have to go uh, – if there's any CPAs listening, you get out behind your desk and go find out. Why that number moved. Don't just say it went up by 20%. Why? What made it move? There's, and The only technical thing I still teach is financial analysis because I love finding the story behind the numbers and communicating that story. So just like with you guys with the technology, technology happens, but it doesn't happen on its own yet right <laughs>
0: <laughs> no you still need a human in there to you still- uh, at least implement it you know there's still that human element even if it's artificial intelligence a human still needs to implement it
2: <laughs> exactly so when things occur that are unexpected we have to find out what that is and realize that you'll be speaking in your highly complex technology language but how do I take that and translate it into something as in plain English, as in like, uh, uh, you know, just everyday kind of analogies that people can understand. And, and, and that, that does take time. That, that, t- that does take a fair amount of work.
1: Oh, yeah. There's no question about it. And, uh, you know, I like the idea that uh, you're, you're touching on our own secret languages because, you know, part of as technology leaders, part of the challenge for us is we end up interacting with a lot of folks who come from more purely, Business-informed uh, domains, they may not realize that they've got their own secret language and you know set of symbols and you know all these things that um, make it very easy for them to communicate you know with their their business associates in that way. And then it sort of forces the hand of us as technologists to come you know be multilingual and be able to interact in that same way so that we can all be equally understood. But Nick, correct me if you're wrong, if I'm wrong here, but, you know, I, I tend to find uh, uh, that, you know, business doesn't, you know, have that same expectation of itself, that it should actually be learning more about what can technology do and what's the language, you know, kind right. of behind the scenes so that it can better articulate um, what its needs are. And so that also leaves us having to have good bedside manner and part-time playing psychologists so that we can really elicit those details, right? Right. (laughs) Through the process.
2: Is he wrong, Nick? (laughs) <laughs> no, he's he's uh,
0: he's he's right, and I'm sure you've probably experienced that too. Just just in the the um, CPA days, right? As an accountant, um, you, you talk to other people, and they just have no idea what you're what you're completely talking about,
2: <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> and, and, and you guys are perfect. I mean, so I, I've attended enough conferences in my day, and I don't know. I still don't know when, when this occurred. When did we? Because we grew up a story. Mm -hmm. We grew up telling stories. When did it turn into every time we're communicating in a conference or communicating with others across organizations that we're doing a dissertation? (laughs) We're we're, we're like defending a dissertation. It's all facts and figures. It's a data dump. And Mm -hmm. all that does is put people to sleep. (laughs) Or, 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 as I like to say, at a conference, it creates the conference prayer because they take this out, they take the <laughs> cell phones out, they bow their heads, and they're not looking at you. They're playing Angry Birds or reading email or something. <laughs> I
0: mean, that's always a good key um, to engagement even in a meeting, right? When, right? when you're hosting a meeting or anything, and you, as soon as you see people look down at their phones or now you got those Apple watches and everything. So people looking at their watch, you don't know if they're actually looking at the time. <laughs> uh, that, that, that's a good way to tell um, that, you know, your audience or, or the people in your meeting aren't engaged. Um, so you brought up storytelling and that that's a great point, um, something that Brian and I are pretty passionate about. Um, so, so what are your tips for people that you get them when you get them into storytelling? I know right there you just talked about you know the prayer, but um, <laughs> what's your methodology or thought behind storytelling?
2: Well, I, it really first starts with the audience. Mm-hmm. Okay, so a lot of times we, we don't we don't put ourselves in the audience's shoes. We put in our shoes. So the first thing I try to do is 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 put myself in the audience member's shoes and sc- scope out their level of competence how you know if i'm if i'm in a room with a bunch of cpas and cfos and stuff i can say the crazy acronyms i can use the high tech language but if i'm in a room with younger cpas who don't have the complexity that i had that i have or or those who are not i've got to figure out figure them out and figure out how i can tell the story mm-hmm. and, and and there's there's a, And the example that I I use is uh, I was a night before I was doing a presentation back in 2013 or 14. And one of the topics I was doing hardcore accounting, one of the topics was consolidations of variable interest entities. And this all came about because of Enron. And and I'm looking at my stuff, oh, dear Lord, I'm going to put myself to sleep when I come to (laughs) (laughs) Because it was a data dump. Mm-hmm. And I sat there that night and I said, so what, what are they trying to do? And this, they're, they're trying to take an entity over here that's on the off-balance sheet and put it on the balance sheet. They're trying to take something over here and shove it in here, but over here doesn't want it. They're trying to take something over here and they're trying to move it. Oh, move it. Oh, move it in over here. So the idea came up. And as soon as I put the, the slide up, said consolidations of VIEs, I had like 200 CPAs in the office. And they all grabbed their phone. <laughs> I mean it was almost instantaneously and I said you know this is about my third year so I'm going to do a little audience poll I said uh, for those who are in the room c- could you raise your hand if you're married and they're looking at me strange and I said serious. I seriously raise your hand and I said raise your hand if you have a mother-in-law and all these hands are up there and I said I want you, I want you to think of your mother-in-law as a variable interest entity and your spouse wants their mother to move into your household <laughs> and then pointed it to a variable interest entity. And it I went from people looking at their phones to leaning in and laughing and engaging. And if I go back to Arizona and speak for the Arizona Society of CPAs, and if somebody was in that audience that day, they'll go, you're the mother-in-law guy. <laughs> and to me, that's one of the greatest compliments I could get because I have a really cool last name. But if they remember the mother-in-law guy before that, I've succeeded. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, you know, part of, part of how I imagine uh, you have learned how to assess reading the crowd is through some of your interest in improv. And mm-hmm. in fact, you've written an entire book <laughs> around <Yeah. laughs> um, how these techniques can be applied into a leadership set. <laughs> so, yes, man, there we go. There we go. Uh, So, so talk to us a little bit about that. What is, you know, how did you start to apply these characteristics of improv, um, you know, both to your approach as a public speaker, um, but also how, how did you start to correlate this to uh, a series of techniques um, that could be beneficial for leadership?
2: You, You mentioned something earlier about, you know, frustration, you know, we get frustrated and, Improv, it's about, you know, obviously about two words. Yes. And Uh, it's all about agreement, but not always agreeing. (laughs) It's, it's, it's about empathy. It's about putting yourself in the other person's shoes. It's, it's about listening to understand versus listening to respond because we Hmm. live in a listen to respond culture because we, 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 we've got an agenda in our head. We try to push that agenda. We interrupt people. We're not listening. Um, and, and there's there's no respect. When you have no respect between two parties, you know what you call that? Congress, <laughs> because nothing's waiting getting, for that. <laughs> yeah, nothing's getting done. So an improv, it's it's all about deferring your judgment. It's all about when you walk into a room, you leave your ego behind. You just park it. It's all about listening to the conversation. And, and truly listening because we're listening to understand. We're, we're parking our agenda and trying to assess what the person's saying, and then not saying no or that's a stupid question, or that's a stupid idea. It's like, oh, interesting idea. Tell me more. Have you thought about this? Well, yes. And have you thought about that? And, and, and it's more about engaging a conversation than shutting it down. <laughs> and you know, people think improv is all about making stuff up because that guy Drew Carey, where everything's made up and the points don't count. <laughs> yeah, whose line is it? Well, well, Drew knows, <laughs> Anyways, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Drew knows that that's incorrect because I realized my 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 second workshop, impro- I'm, somebody said, you might like this. And I thought we were going to write comedy. It was something different. But the instructor said, come back next week. But we'll go out and study the 70s. Soak in all the information you can from the 70s. And if you grew up in the 70s, you might want to research it because you probably don't remember it. So that was that was a good joke for those who of us grew up in the 70s. (laughs) I I learned so many things. (laughs) And we came, those of us who came in the room, came to the workshop that that next week and did the work, did the homework, we were funny. Those who didn't weren't. And I went, this isn't about being funny. This is about our knowledge, our, our experiences, what we have to bring into a situation. That's improv. And that's of my big aha went. So I try to be a, if this is, I'm, I'm a professional speaker, but I try to be a better listener. Uh, I, I try to listen to my audience by the body language to see if they're, if they're getting the information, uh, if they're receiving it, if they're with me, or, you know, there's always a few. But if, if, I, if I start seeing certain body language amongst most in the room, I've got to change it up. Um, and just accepting what's given to me and moving forward with it and moving that conversation forward. That, that's improv. So many times in, in business today, we were not even close to doing any of that w- with our customers, with our people, um, you know, I, so you guys are in offices and uh-huh. and I would ask my audience, so what is your, what business are you guys in? And you would answer, uh, apparently, apparently they fell asleep on the other end, or, or not sure what business they have yeah, No, next. our yeah,
0: businesses would be different, but uh, you know, most people would say, I, I guess for me, you know, the insurance business, or we're in, you know, the restaurant business, or we're in, I don't know, the music business. Um, say, but I would say you're in the people business, right?
2: There you go, you're in the people business. Yep. I know in my world, it transcends all we don't think about that. We're in the people business first and foremost. Everything else is a byproduct. And improv is a leadership tool because it empowers, it, 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 it inspires, it motivates. It doesn't, it doesn't want to tear down, it doesn't want to destroy, it wants to continue to grow because as a leader, this is not about me. This is about my team. It's the opposite of ego leadership. And it's a way of life. I've turned it into a way of life. Clearly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you.
1: (laughs) No, I love that. And and, in fact, you know, the, uh, so the, the title of your podcast is change your mindset, right? Right. Right. That's I mean, that's not something that either an improv artist or an accountant, you know, (laughs) a a title that for me would leap to mind for either of those two types.
2: Right. (laughs) And actually, I rebranded it about a year and a half ago because I've been doing mine for about three and a half years. My original podcast was Improv is No Joke. And it's hard to get accountants, financial professionals to tune into something that scares them to death. (laughs) <laughs> so I, I went through a process of rebranding it, but it really is a change of mindset. And I think a lot—I think a lot of us in corporate America and in business today have a hard time changing that mindset. This is the—I when I hear this, I just want to just shoot somebody. No, I, let's take that back. <laughs> but this is the way we've always done it. This is how we do things around here. No, well then I just go. Then you're not going to survive. Mm-hmm. You're going to be Blackberry. you, you have to continually mm-hmm. move forward and, and, and invent and, and the great another thing that improv does it, 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 it creativity. Mm-hmm. It, you say yes and tell me more not that, that's a stupid idea. Uh, I was doing a workshop for a Fortune 500 company and they brought their uh, emerging leaders in from Latin America and the US. And they were here for a two-week workshop, and I had the, the, the privilege to do a creativity workshop session with them, with Improv. And, and the main topic was how are we going to increase profitability on our company? And I set the stage this. Whatever you say – this is like Las Vegas. What's said in here stays in here. We might laugh. We might be afraid, but you know, we might think certain things. But what we say in this room stays in this room, and nobody shoots down ideas. And I want crazy ideas because if I have crazy ideas, I've got to your guys' world bandwidth to play with. If people keep giving me these safe ideas, I have nothing to create. So it's this yes, and just give me. And so they were, how do we increase profitability? I said, you know, raise revenue, cut costs, throw that out, go deep. And I was getting all these real safe ideas. And this one gentleman from Latin America says, I tell you what we do. This is how we're going to increase profitability in our company. We are going to kill all of our competition salespeople. I froze and, and, and I, I caught myself cause I almost said that is crazy. That is stupid. We couldn't do that. I stopped myself and I, I, I took about two beats. I said, let's take murder off the table. <laughs> instead of killing them, why don't we poach them? Why don't we go find the top salespeople in our competition and see if we can lure them to us and we can stay out of jail. <laughs> that's, important. that's important That's important But I don't know if we would have gotten to that point If that gentleman didn't take me seriously mm-hmm. And so when somebody says crazy ideas I, You want them Right However In the walls of corporate America That could get you fired Which is the, which is the craziest thing You want those crazy ideas you, you want that bandwidth So you can create And, and most of the time they don't allow you to have that flexibility Mm. or that empowerment of that. They want to keep it within the the coat and tie of the organization, which is really a a waste of time.
1: Well, to me, it's so interesting that, uh, you know, you bring up these points in in part because um, in the last year uh, I had been asked a question uh, from a senior executive leader about, digital transformation, right? Everyone wants to know what's the secret sauce to make digital transformation happen. And my response, you know, I I really took the time to articulate it uh, in one of my LinkedIn articles as well. And the article is called Digital Readiness Mindset. And Mm -hmm. To a lot of the points that you're bringing up, um, for me, it, it wasn't just about, you know, now, what's the project plan look like? How are we going to implement? What are the tools and technologies? You know, what's our digital business model look like? It was more about what's your readiness to change, right? And, <laughs> and, and that that requires not only looking within yeah. and, and understanding your own points of resistance, but also looking Outside of that and finding, you know, where can you really um, adhere some of these changes into some niches where there's the potential for success? And and, and I love how you characterize that around crazy ideas, because if you don't have that big thinking taking place and crazy ideas are certainly a component of that Mm. big thinking, how do you ever find out where to exploit some of those niches that look completely different from how you may be operating today?
2: Exactly, and, and which uh, company comes to mind? Uh, Kmart, uh, BlackBerry. Uh, the list goes on and on. Oh, yeah.
0: Circuit City. Circuit, circuit, <laughs> yeah. So, wow. which yeah, Once the largest corporation for a while, weren't they in the early nineties? Yeah, yep. they were. For and, sure. And, yep. and,
2: and we get we get stuck in that same old thought process, and, and not you know thinking all oh, this internet thing is never going to last. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, it's, we need more, we need more bandwidth to be creative. And, And I've always said that if I had my own company, I had people, you know, that, that I was responsible for their livelihood or whatever, and I come up with a huge business issue. The collective knowledge outside of my office far exceeds the collective knowledge inside of my office. So it would be a Friday. I would send an email out to everybody in the organization. This is the problem I am working on. Monday morning, I want you to come in with a post-it note and put on my whiteboard your thought, your, your, your solution to this problem. So if I got 50 people, there's 50 ideas. I just want one from them. And then I can mm-hmm. start looking at it and go, I can start, oh, well, I got a big clump over here. We need to do this. Or, you know what? I never thought about this one here. This could solve everything right now. Oh, who gave this to me? I'm not sure. It could have been the janitor. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but not not having my ego get in the way of, oh, this wasn't my idea. Well, my, my idea is just the start of the conversation. A lot of people think their ideas, we, in improv, we say, bring a brick, don't bring the cathedral. and we've all had that boss who comes in and says give me your ideas and said no we're going to do it this way this is this is the cathedral and and we just wasted everybody's time but his ego feels good about it now yeah or her or or her ego feels good about it now you know it's interesting how 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 much, uh,
1: you know, customer experience or CX has been, you know, part of this mantra and and lots of different types of organizations, lots of different industries. And to the degree that now there's, you know, there's a whole um, sort of like mystical practice behind it. Right. There's consultancies that are built around delivering great CX, you know, and how do we help your organization game plan for that? you know, I had a conversation with one of the executives from one of our CX practice teams. And I said, have you ever gone through the process yourself of trying to shop for the product we sell? I mean, I think that right there would answer a lot of questions. We (laughs) we actually don't need to engage any consultants for it. Just go try actually buying the thing that we sell and come back with your ideas from that experience.
2: That's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. And how much money has the company now saved? (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> so I would, I would add to that. And what I was going to say, Brian, is that a lot of times when we talk about these problems and, and you know, you're talking about customer experience or customer journey or personas or whatever the heck they want to call it these days. Um, you know, a lot of times they're like, they're like, we know what the customer wants, right? We know what the client wants. It's like, well, have you actually talked to the customer to find out that that's exactly what they want? And you're just going to sit here and assume that that's what they want? <laughs> um, as soon as you hear that, you you should instantly know that they're probably wrong.
2: <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but
1: exactly. What are we going to spend that budget on then? I don't I don't know. Know. We can, <laughs> we we can had all blow that a million dollars on
0: initiative. something. I'm sure. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, now you hit a sore spot. <laughs> I, correct. I. So it's December, and this is kind of a, a unique year. I haven't had the phone call yet, but in previous years in December, I get a phone call. Hey, can you come out and do a, a, a presentation for us on whatever? Uh, and stand, I'm, up uh, stand up budgeting. Stand up budgeting. Ooh, there you go. <laughs> It basically comes down to, why are you doing this? Uh, because if I don't spend my budget, I won't get the same amount next year. <laughs> One of these days I'm going to say, then don't hire me. <laughs> <laughs> just save the company some money, and maybe you don't need this money for next year. Oh, by the way, you're an organi- is this organization yours? No, you work for the organization. So why don't you help the organization save, save some cash instead mm-hmm. of just trying to spend it? And, and back to your point about, about budgeting, um, uh, never mind. I, that, <laughs> no, go ahead. That, that one just I, – I, I, it's – we are one organization, but when it comes around – be very quiet. It's budget season. <laughs> yeah. right. Right. It's budgeting season. And, and then everybody's out for themselves. The, the, the silos who should be working together are working against everybody. Mm-hmm. So I never, I've never understood that. And actually, I was offered the job of, of manager or something of budgeting at, at Victoria's Secret. I turned them down immediately. <laughs> I, I did. You know, it's like okay. So what? What ultimately happens is the salespeople, uh, IT people. What number do you want it to be? Just do that. You know, it's this <laughs> top down approach that takes forever that nobody likes, and you know, but it's there's importance in it. But we go at it. The word budgeting sounds like a four-letter word. <laughs> and, 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 I mean, we're, we're, try, we're trying to make the you – know, planning sounds – I like to plan for vacations. I like to plan for outings. Why don't we just call it planning? You say budgeting and people just get that scowl on their face. Then, we, then I thought about one. They said, well, in accounting, we don't make it you know attractive. we got this thing called accrual accounting. The word "cruel" is in the word "cruel." <laughs> Why? I, I, you know, so when it comes to budgeting within an organization, we should be working together, not against each other. That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> Where did Forrest Gump come from? I don't know. It just showed up. Mama always said.
1: Uh, to be honest, I was waiting for the Victoria's Secret reference to take us another direction. But it didn't
2: no, I'll tell you those stories offline. <laughs> Victoria's got uh, some secrets, huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's funny because I, I worked on the catalog side for about four or five years and I left in the late 90s. Uh, my brother's in retail. Been in retail all of his life, uh, and he just left one organization and now works for Victoria's Secret stores. It must be something in the genes or the family. Or something. <laughs> I don't know.
1: Peter, you know, you you touched on something earlier that I'd like to to circle back to, uh, really okay. from an educational perspective, and and part of what you talked about in terms of. Uh, You know, really injecting humor, you know, fun stories and using this as part of a device in your educational approach. I'll tell you, one of my favorite writers uh, was Robert Anton Wilson. And, uh, you know, he had a, a very similar kind of trajectory in the sense that his background was in electrical engineering. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he wanted to be a writer and he wanted to be, you know, presenting big ideas and be kind of a futurist Uh, and, you know, very quickly realized that if you've got, you know, sort of the sequential, you know, process oriented procedural mindset of someone whose background is electrical engineering, um, you're probably going to bore the heck out of the people that you're trying to educate. Um, so he jumped career tracks and went and edited Playboy forum for about a decade and then got a degree in, <laughs> in uh, psychology. So all of this is to say that some of his his books are among the most fun books that I've ever read and they're full of big ideas but everything is Uh, interlaced with humor. So uh, it makes it easy to remember a lot of these concepts that he's bringing forward, because there's funny stories that get, you know, baked into that. So I know that one of your books is taking the numb out of numbers. In fact, I can see that you got a copy of it sitting right there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, tell us a little bit about how that came about, and you know, did that correlate to uh, some of this approach that you had in your own, um, you know, the way that you you found teaching with humor uh, to be effective.
2: Yeah. um, So I I went to school at the small liberal arts college and. No, that was Playboy form, I think, was, <laughs> I think. I think that's how all those, somebody, a friend of mine told me that's how all those stories you know, would, would start. <laughs> well, um, I just got, this book came more out of frustration that, so as, as a CPA, I still have to get continued education credit. And I can't do it anymore. I'm, I'm getting to the point because I have to sit and listen to somebody lecture. I hate lecturing. The, the, I, you know, you're talking at me. You're not creating a conversation. Mm-hmm. And what happened was is I, I do a lot of work for the Business Learning Institute, which is the innovation and learning uh, subsidiary of the Maryland Association of CPAs. And one of their prospects about, I guess, about four years ago asked if they had a class on financial storytelling. And they said, no, but we have somebody who could create it. Me. <laughs> so i wrote a description i and so the client the prospect never engaged us but i took it and created a course and what it what it is is to help and i'm going to i'm going to say cpas but this really goes to almost Almost any industry, but it really resonates with those industries like yours, like engineering, architecture, those left hemisphere brain types of (laughs) that linear systematic process Mm -hmm. to be able to explain complex information in the way that people can understand. An accountant has to – we have clients, whether we're internal or external. You know, if, if I'm a CFO, I have a client. That's the rest of the organization. And if I'm in public accounting, I have clients. And our job is to inform, not to bore. And when we speak that language, we, we bore. So, one, getting to understand this is a foreign language. Two, getting them to realize it's not about me. It's about them. I don't have time to do No, 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 that's about you. It's about them. And, and I, I just tell audiences, have you ever sat through an eight-hour course, bored completely out of your mind, and hopefully it's <laughs> not this one right now? And, and then I'll go, yeah. I said, tell me how you felt, bored. you know. I just, <laughs> I, I'm, 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 I'm getting my hours. I kept hearing, I'm getting my hours, but I'm bored. I'm not engaged. I said, so when you do a presentation, remember how they felt. Remember how you felt and do the mm-hmm. opposite. Put put your butt in their cheeks, in their seat, <laughs> and know that pain, and find a way to cure their pain. Mm-hmm. And, and and then I started researching storytelling techniques and stuff. And in the book, I created my my own, and it's uh, for the acronym I M P R O V. And it's you know there's this there's stories everywhere. We, we we you know, I I, I keep a, a, a my Evernote. I keep a, a a log in different stories, just enough to to remember when thing. A story happens when the villain gets introduced, right? When the when the villain when the villain comes in. Um, I was explaining this to this one class. It's like so, you know, you you meet you meet someone, you, you meet a girl, you meet a guy, whatever, and and, and that very first kiss. You can't, and if it's if you have that connection, you cannot go back from that. It's like that, or in in the hangover, you saw the movie The Hangover, Mm -hmm. the the villain is introduced on the roof of Caesar's Palace when they're all up there doing shots of Jagermeister. The villain was the roofie, (laughs) right? Yep, so everything in that story that led up to it was developing that character because all stories have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And I even charge for that. people pay. <laughs> <laughs> so you, sp- you spend about 20% of the time casting the character. So we, we, we got the you know Zach Galifianakis's idiosyncrasies as that character. I can never remember his, uh, his name. Uh, then Bradley Cooper in the movie. And so they, then that happens. And if you watch it, then they wake up and their hotel room is trashed. Uh, golf actress goes into the restroom and there's a Bengal tiger in the bathroom. Uh, one guy's lost a tooth. Uh, <laughs> and they, and there's a series of what they call, we call it, uh, I call it the R being the rays being the, uh, uh, embellishing a bit to help with the story, creating more tension to keep the audience's attention. <laughs> now in our world from, from those in the left hemisphere, what do you mean embellish? that's called lying no 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 no. don't let we're not giving a dissertation we're not doing it uh, uh, think about it this way don't let the facts get in the way of a good story <laughs> because the facts are boring we can add a little spice it's like you remember silly Putty. Nick, yeah. do you know, silly poly? You don't look like you hold up. Oh, I know poly what poly. it is. yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> Put it and, on the newspaper. Pull up the ink off of it. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Bingo. Yeah. And, and after you pull it off, what what would you do with it? Oh, you, you just crumble it back up. Yeah. You crumble it back up. What would what would you do, Nick, with it? I mean, uh, Brian, what'd you do?
1: Yeah, you got to you got to stretch it down. You got to distort it. Yeah. You got to you got to play, play with the image, right? Right.
2: You play with the image. That's the raise part. I'm straight. I don't want it to break. But I just want to add a little bit there Mm -hmm. to the story. And 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 my book, I I write about an event that my first time teaching, um, I I was making them laugh. Everything was going really cool. I got a little over cocky. And the the class, my next class I did not prepare well enough for was on a complex topic called bonds payable. (laughs) <laughs> and when I say bonds Payable to a group of accountants they get that oh dear lord I remember that it's been years <laughs> ago but I remember that and it just so I, I write in the book 95% of it's pretty factual went on I had a little embellishment just for that attention to keep their attention mm-hmm. uh, and, and sometimes some stories just don't need to be embellished <laughs> And then at the end, and this is the, this is the, the out. When we get out of we don't, we don't come to like the end. It's so in my bonds payable story, it was like, so when I get to the a point, I go, so let me ask you guys this question. Have you ever done a presentation that you haven't prepared for? Got a little overconfident, came in and I'm watching people's heads going like a bobblehead. Yeah. Uh, what did you learn from that? and now you're, once again, it's about the audience, now you're flipping it back on the audience and making them think it's your story <laughs> but now you're putting it in their lap and getting them to oh yeah, I've done that Yeah, I was, I was, so what did you learn, what would you not do again um, and when we do this correctly, now that's the V, we, we've got victory so, and, and there's a variety of ways, but we always have to find the villain <laughs> And I'm I'm I'm. When is this going to air?
0: <laughs> this will air uh, probably the first of December. I mean, uh, not <laughs> <What>? December, geez. <laughs> January,
2: yeah, first, first of January. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I'm. I, let's just put it this way. I'm. I'm in the process of, of uh, writing an article about what's the true villain in accounting, and mm-hmm. it's going to if if me and I have someone helping me write this. If we write it the way I'm, I hope we write it. Some people are going to get really upset, but that's fine. But a lot, of, but a lot of people go, oh, "You're right. That is the villain. That 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 is that is the big villain." And, and I don't want to let the the cat out of the bag. Yeah. But I, I will say when when we do have, the, I, I'm pretty sure uh, we we have a, a periodical. Let's go pick it up. I'll, I'll send you guys the, the the link to it. Yeah,
0: we'll be happy uh, to share.
2: But, there, but there's <laughs> villains. There's villains in everything that we do. So that something happens, something, you know, we don't get up and everything goes just like it's supposed to. Mm -hmm. Write those, write those, write those notes down when something went wrong or, or what problem did you solve? (laughs) Because the problems of I provided or our, our product, our service was the hero in solving that. That's, that's how we come up with stories.
0: Well,
1: and you know, the, you think about the—I uh, forget how many, like the the eight or the twelve—you know—classic uh, story structures. You know, man versus man, man versus self, man versus nature. Right? It's all mm-hmm. these all these different variables. You know, the villain can be found in each one of those, right? And right. It doesn't always have to. You know, I mean, it can it, it can it can be your environment in certain circumstances, right? <laughs> right versus just someone that you can clearly identify as that's my foe
2: <laughs> right and and if you ever need a, a, a place to go to find stories and villains they've got this city that's perfect for it. it's called Las Vegas <laughs> I was um doing a half a half day workshop at a conference there and I'd been working with this person this instructional designer uh, for this uh, uh, association because I didn't understand their language they were in the construction world construction accounting so I wanted to learn their language And the more well, we worked probably twice a month for about four or five months in the morning of, it was a Sunday morning, I don't know, like June 2nd or something. And she comes down. The class is going to start at 730. She comes down about 630. I go, how's your morning going? <laughs> She's had this look. I'm like, well, it started out a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, would you care to share? She goes, sure. So I get in the elevator. Well, the elevator door opens, and there's a, a gentleman and somewhat of a towel holding two prostitutes' hands. <laughs> and i went excuse me she goes no no, no yeah they, no he i he was i they had a hard time keeping that towel up but he, he was he was holding these two prostitutes hands because they stole his wallet oh, <laughs> well. and so it, it, i said funny you should say that because i had breakfast this morning at at, at the hotel and there was a whole bunch of drunk people in there. And I asked the, the waiter, I said, so what's the f- craziest, funniest thing you've seen around here? Oh, it just happened yesterday. I said, what? Well, the, this guy was chasing this prostitute right in front of her because he stole – she stole his wallet. I went, I see a – but those stories, <laughs> those stories will come back. There's something in there. I know there's something there that I can apply I well, that one will probably burn into my brain because that's one of the funniest things somebody has ever told me. But, but your
1: next your next question for the bartender wasn't, was he carrying a towel?
2: <laughs> no, he he did say he he was dressed. <laughs> and I I'll 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 tell you what I wanted to remark to this one, but I never met her uh when we're off air. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I I don't I don't want to put that one on there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you for that.
2: Oh, you're, you're welcome. I don't want the FCC to come down on any of us. Well,
1: back to your points on creativity, you know, there's a lot to be left to the imagination when it comes to
2: stories <laughs> <laughs> about Vegas. Yeah. Uh, but there's, there's, if we stop and take a look, and the more that, so why that was so successful with the, with the with the variable interest entities, because I, I told a story That everybody in that room could relate to who has, who was married Mm -hmm. because most don't want their mother or father-in-law moving in with them permanently. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, the more that we can take everyday life stories and put it into business context, that even becomes even more powerful. We can take business stories that we have, but if we can equate it to something that a story that's happened in our life that a lot of other people, that that's the that's the key. That's that's the, the secret sauce.
1: Find the mother in law.
2: Find the mother law. <laughs> Find the mother law. Exactly.
0: Uh, that's your next book title, huh? Find the mother law.
2: <laughs> you know what? That might not be a bad one. Actually, I, I am getting you, ready to start to hey, with number If you write that, three. I'll write the foreword. Okay.
0: <laughs> All right. Um, so speaking of books, do you, do you have a book um, that's had a big influence on you or a big impact or a piece of media or something that you like to gift to people or um... – you know, anything like that just
2: had a big impact on you? Oh, the, the one book that had probably one of the biggest impacts on me uh, was the book by Dan and Chip Heath mm-hmm. called Made to Stick. Oh, yeah. That uh, – the, the the curse of knowledge uh, and the tappers and listeners. I, I did send mm-hmm. – yeah. uh, did, did you send the, the, the video along on tappers and listeners? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that right there, the, the ability to – understand the impact versus the, the intent versus and the impact differences uh was was a game change it was like i mean that i, I referenced it a, number, a few times in in my book and i reference it all the time in my, in my presentations and to to watch the audience go oh my god i'm doing that <laughs> right I, recognition is the first Piece. If I don't recognize that I'm doing, right. it, I'm never doing it. So ma- made the stick, uh, and it was these guys are like PhD at some community college in San Francisco called Stanford University or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> so they're really smart guys, and but it was never meant to be a New York Times bestseller. Yeah, and, uh-huh. and I guess the story of somebody and who was a member of the National Speakers Association picked up what. Oh my God, this is the secret sauce. How do we make things sticky? Because we want our audience to remember. Mm-hmm. And the stickiness is the emotion. Mm-hmm. How do we bring emotion? Oh, we're bringing, that's an emotional intelligence stuff. That's it. Fuzzy stuff that we don't like to talk about.
1: But, <laughs> well, they also use the uh, the metaphors of the elephant and the writer in their their book on change management called Switch, which is also, it's probably the best book I've ever read on on change management. Same, same authors, the Heath Brothers.
2: I, I think it's it's switched because I think I have that in my stack of things to read uh, and I will move that up, <laughs> up on that stack. Cause there's, there's another one that they wrote and my financial planner sent it to me and I can't remember the name of it. I would turn around, but every time I do that to look at my bookshelf, I can never find it. Uh, <laughs> off, yeah, I'm, I'm digging around, but I, I think everybody who, I, I think everybody in, business should read uh, made to stick by Dana. And you don't have to be a presenter you, you, you know uh, and, and the other thing I, I would highly suggest is everybody th- th- I'm, so I have an improv coach. His name is Jay Suko. he's uh, been on faculty at the second City in Chicago. He's now currently on faculty at the second City in LA and I interviewed him on my podcast he said, you know what if everybody just took one improv class, this world would be a better place. And I firmly believe that. I Actually, my son was graduating in high school, and I gave him three options. I said, one, I said, if you decide to take a gap year, that's fine. You have three options. One, you can get a 40-hour week job and pay rent. Two, you can save up a bunch of money and go backpack a country that is primarily safe uh, <laughs> and we kind of, I'm not sure where that is anymore or, or three you can go to Chicago and spend a year studying at Second City in their uh, uh, curriculum wow. uh, and, and dad's paying for it he just finished his first semester at Columbus State Community College he doesn't realize <laughs> what, what he, the, to the degree that that is I am giving him a Christmas present this year but it's not going to be something i'm getting him uh, uh, uh there's a number of improv groups here in columbus and i'm getting i'm going to pay for his first class in improv beginning improv it's like a six or eight week course and i won't make him go because it i i, I mean it, someone said what what excites you what what motivates you where's your passion and it's it, improv secure i i'm 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 a big su- Fan of it, I, I I I don't want like use the word preach, but I talk about it every day on how it just makes the world so much nicer. It it deflates a lot of egos, um, and it's just it, and those who can improvise, they can be funny too, which we all need to laugh.
1: Well, I I, you know, I couldn't agree more. I'll just tell you, you know, one leadership characteristic that I frequently cite is great leaders are able to navigate through a lot of gray area. And, and that's the nature of improvisation right there. You, you know, things are rarely black and white. It's, it's, it's very rarely, you know, uh, you know, an on off kind of scenario. There's, there's a lot of nuance uh, that you have to work your way through. So I, I love that you touched on that.
2: Yeah, it's accepting it's agreeing it's agreement, but not always agreeing. But when you say no, when you say no, because, or yes, but, Conversations stop. Actually defenses rise. Um, when you say and it's like, oh, there's a possibility. And it's it's I so cool when I can when, when audiences pick up on that. And I had one gentleman contact me one day. I have an accounting firm who said, by the way, I just want you to know uh, we had an issue in one of our meetings, and I pulled out the yes-and card. I said, okay, let's look at it from this perspective, and we figured it out. And I went, can I have that in a testimonial?
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're like, yeah, that's what you definitely need, right? <laughs> right that's right.
2: It, it, and yeah. it, 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 it unsticks us when we're stuck, if no, you, it's, if used properly.
0: That's really great. So, so, Peter, if people are looking for you, um, where can they find you?
2: Uh, in my basement office in Westerville, Ohio, but probably
0: <laughs> probably the we the, can publish the address uh, in the Google Maps if you'd like.
2: We <laughs> you can't guarantee who's
0: going to show up. But. <laughs> yeah, no,
2: no, 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 no. Tell. Um, my website is Peter Margaritas, and it's M A R G A R I T I S. Dot com, uh, my podcast is change your mindset. It's out on all the podcast platforms. I am taking a little bit of a, a sabbatical per se. That I am I, scaling back to one episode a month for a few months. I I, I want to change it up, and I decided the collective knowledge outside of my office, for, outside of my podcast, far exceeds the collective knowledge inside my podcast. And I'm going to take this time asking my audience to help me co-create. Mm-hmm. season three uh and, and see what I can uh, uh what I can get out of that see if I can get some people involved and give me some ideas because I've been thinking I'm yeah, thinking like about the audience I've been thinking of what the audience wants but what if we changed it up and I asked them what they wanted but over a period of time versus like at one episode then moving on so they can find me there um and my email is Peter at PeterMargaritas.com. Awesome.
1: Well, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. It's uh, been one of the most fun episodes, <laughs> at least for me, <laughs> um, that I think we've done. And it's, uh, it's, it's really, I think, enlarged the scope of how we talk about leadership on this program. So uh, oh, cool. thank you for bringing your insight and your humor and, and your personality. It, uh, it lit up the room. So it's been a lot of fun.
2: I appreciate it, guys. And I, I, I'd I be remiss if I didn't have to give a big thank thank you to Roxanne Kaufman Elliott for introducing us oh, yeah. and, and having this opportunity. So I have to thank yeah. her as well. No, oh, probably. for sure.
0: We thank you for being on. And, you know, Roxanne's been a good friend of our show. So we appreciate Roxanne her, too. Rocks. <laughs> Roxanne rocks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Peter.
2: All right, guys.
1: Thanks, Peter.